This is Unfilter, episode 344 for January 14th, 2021. What's important, uh, I believe, is that Trump be impeached, that he be made politically radioactive, um, that the principal Republicans uh, move to the center and we leave the Trumpers and the QAnon and the conspiracy theorists as a rump Republican Party that will find it impossible to win a national election. And Lord, that will be a blessing for America. friend and welcome into the people's history podcast you first day listeners here of the show when a new episode releases and i've heard from some of you might have noticed a little late this week i think i've realized january is a hell of a month for production so we had this crazy storm come in wind speeds uh, up to 70 miles per hour in some areas hardly any any notice hardly any preparation so of course a bunch of power goes out here because we got trees for days Power goes out at the studio, so I can't do unfilter. Power goes out at my kid's school, so even though they're all doing COVID distance learning, can't do school because the school servers are down. So all of a sudden, it's a no school day. It's a no podcast day. It was a little wild, and I started thinking about it, and I realized January is just kind of suck for unfilter because it's New Year's, and that throws a wrinkle in the news flow, but it just throw, it's just hard to do production around holidays. It's my daughter's birthday. It's also my anniversary. And then... At some point, it's my birthday. I won't specifically say when, but it's all in there as well. And then, you know, this year we have all all that's going on and that storm. So let's catch up with, you know, just a few things that are going on during all of this. And, of course, I want to start with impeachment this week. I think this impeachment has been a wild ride. And here I thought I was going to miss out. I thought Unfilter missed out on all the impeachment fun in 2019. But nope. 2021 has a lot of fun in store for all of us. So let's set the context for what was a a slippery slope. In six days, we have opened over 160 case files, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. This is the FBI assistant director, Stephen, I think it's DeAntio or something like that. But he is the assistant director in charge of the field office. We're looking at significant felony cases tied to sedition and conspiracy. And nearly a week after the attack on the U.S. Capitol, finally an update in front of cameras from the FBI on their ongoing probe into the assault. Now, no mention, though, of the widely reported warning from the FBI about planned armed protests in all 50 state capitals and Washington, D.C. that could begin on Saturday. Now, ahead of more possible violent unrest, a damning report it says there was a warning about the attack on the U.S. Capitol the day before it happened. Yeah, there. Yeah, this is OK. Let's go into this a little bit. So there was a, a warning um, that uh, that there could be some kind of a, attack coming, a, a war at the Capitol. Tonight, the acting U.S. attorney for D.C. says the public will be shocked when it learns all the details from the assault on the Capitol. Also shocking, new reporting that the FBI received a very specific warning before the riot. Let's bring in CBS's Jeff Pegues, who's been reporting all day. Good evening, Jeff. Nora, that FBI notice warned of war at the Capitol, but for some reason, security wasn't stepped up there to meet the challenge that that attack would pose. So they had a warning. It's always it's always amazing how there's these warnings before it happens. And we are getting details now that 
the make some of the protesters look real bad. I mean, some of them there were, were there LARPing as, you know, pretend military personnel, but some of them were there for blood and it hasn't gone unnoticed. Let's be very clear about this. This was well organized. It was organized online. There was the goal of killing Nancy Pelosi. There was the goal of killing Mike Pence. Put that together. You have this mob that's focusing on decapitating the head of our constitutional government. Wow. Uh, the, the goal to kill the number two and the number three leaders, uh, the number two and the three constitutional officers yeah. in the United States of America. And it was explicitly stated. We also found out this weekend, of course, that while Donald Trump was watching this, he was, he was curious, he, he was confused not that all hell was breaking loose at the center of American democracy, but that more people around him weren't as excited as he was mm. at the chaos that was going on. As Ben Sass said, uh, all reports from inside the White House, the senator said that Donald Trump was delighted and excited while he was watching the Capitol riot. Go the Hill and uh, the Huffington Post carried that amongst others and it's it was it came up so much during the hearing impeachments where uh, uh speeches where representatives would go, go up there and they they give these long speeches uh and they they started a, a process in which they could give themselves this stage and they often cited that he watched the protests in glee this president doesn't act today house democrats will proceed with impeachment what she said there although she kind of she kind of runs it all together is if the vice president doesn't act today. So initially there was a lot of pressure on Pence to just do something at your level. Just do something about it. Do something while we can. But if he doesn't act, the House, they'll be ready. The single article of impeachment they have introduced says, quote, Donald John Trump engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors by inciting violence against the government of the United States. He also willfully made statements that in context encouraged and foreseeably resulted in lawless action at the Capitol. And, and that um, may be true. Um, it's also the entire uh, entirety of uh, the, the of what the impeachment is based off of at this point. And as expected, the House went through their process. It was about a day long process and they voted to impeach Donald Trump. Ten Republicans also joined the Democrats to vote for that. The House of Representatives has voted to impeach President Donald Trump for inciting an insurrection at the U.S. Capitol in a bid to overturn Joe Biden's Electoral College victory, making Trump the first U.S. president to be impeached twice. Wednesday's vote was 232 to 197, with 10 Republicans joining Democrats. It's the most bipartisan impeachment in history. It was one week ago today, the morning after the insurrection, that Congress member Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, a former refugee, the first Somali-American to serve in Congress and also the first to wear a hijab in U.S. Congress, first unveiled a resolution to impeach Trump. During Wednesday's proceedings, she called Trump a tyrant. Let us not mince words about what happened last week. It was a violent attempt to interrupt our democratic process. It was a targeted blow at the most essential process that makes us a democracy. A targeted blow? See, this is where I think a proper investigation 
needs to be done, which is what the role of the Senate should be here now. But to me, it seems like the misguided madman kind of thing that you could see Trump doing. He can't process his loss. He doesn't want violence, but he wants a big crowd. Don really, his only option here is, is to have a to have a escape hatch from this loss. His brand cannot sustain a loss like this. And he's looking for a way to frame this, and he needs to make the best show of it he can. And I think it I think he just I think he's gotten to a place where he can't make good decisions. So he probably is dangerous as the president of the United States. I don't think necessarily that Donald Trump participated in a few small wild groups that plan to take things to the next level at the Capitol. He was just dumb enough to create an environment that enabled them. It was a direct and specifically incited by the president of the United States. For years, we have been asked to turn a blind eye to the criminality, corruption, and blatant disregard to the rule of law by the tyrant president we have in the White House. You know, I think what's remarkable about this is everything Donald Trump has ever said, he's being held accountable for. So any kind of language he's used or anything like that, that is what's led to this moment. It's it is all of him, all of him combined. Right. All of the Trumpisms, all of the things he said have have brought us to this moment. But if you apply that logic and you accept that logic then you have to apply and accept that logic about the members in the media and on the left who have been turning this situation up to 11 for five years straight. They have been completely unhinged about Donald Trump and have straight out called for different kinds of violence. And and frankly, I think you if you're going to hold Donald Trump accountable for everything he said that led to this moment, then you have to hold everyone else accountable as well. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murderers. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. And that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. 
and you push back on them and you tell them they're not welcome. My millennials, stay woke. The clip goes on and on. Obviously, I didn't produce that. That came from Discord. But I think the point's well made, uh, even with the dramatic music. It is. It has been unhinged for five years straight, and it has been absolute end of democracy, end of the Constitution, end of the Republic, every single day. And I think this has combined with a lot of deep societal inequities felt by multiple different types of members of society, combined with platforms like social media, combined with a president who has extremely divisive language and consistently makes a bad situation worse, all came together here. But it is absolutely 100% equal on both sides. It takes two to tango. And um, I think it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear that there has been extremely divisive language on both sides. Uh, but now it really is about going after Trump because it's not just Trump, is it? It's more than taking out Trump. But our next step is for a Senate trial. Now impeachment heads to the Senate where Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is telling his Republican colleagues he has, quote, not made a final decision on how he plans to vote. But his office is telling Fox News he won't reconvene the Senate early for a trial. Chief White House correspondent John Roberts is live from the North Lawn this morning. So, so this is amazing. McConnell once again may have mastered a situation here. If you think about what happens, if they punt this thing till January 21st, it's entirely possible that it may not even be constitutional to use the impeachment to go after a president who's no longer serving. That seems how how I seem to read it is it seems to me that impeachment is specifically a mechanism that is used for a serving president. But uh, I think what they're hoping is to at least get him on inciting uh, the violence against the government, which then could, of course, prevent him from getting reelected again. But. Think about this. The last impeachment that was in the Senate, which Mitch McConnell said we're going to get done quickly because they knew how it was going to go. That was a quick version of an impeachment. What we saw before that took about 28 days. So that so that was a quick impeachment. And the way the Senate works, there's so many opportunities for a member to introduce delay because a lot of it is consensus based. And so if they begin the process of impeachment after or on the week that Joe Biden is inaugurated, at a bare minimum, but very likely longer, it's going to add 30 days of the government doing work that has nothing to do with Joe Biden's new agenda. His, the first 30 days of his presidency, and we know that the, hundred, the first 100 days are the most critical, well, the first 30 days of those will be focused on impeachment, absolute best case scenario. But should a senator like Mitch McConnell or someone else want to delay the process even further, to further degrade Biden's agenda, well then, even though they don't have control, they can still add a lot of delay. And so maybe it could even be the first 90 days or 180 days. That could be strategically disastrous for Joe Biden. So how, how important is it to wipe out Trump and Trumpism? Because that's clearly what's trying to happen here. Trump did have a message, an indirect response to the House vote, um, and he attempted, I think, and he has been attempting very clearly for the last few days. Anytime he went to the, he went down to the wall and he had a speech and he tried there too. And on his way out to the airplane, he stopped and talked to the press. And once again, he tried there too to distance himself from any future violence. 
The president responded to the House vote with a five-minute video that did not mention impeachment. Again, he took no responsibility for last week's assault on the Capitol by thousands of his supporters, but he told them not to do it again. Mob violence goes against everything I believe in and everything our movement stands for. No true supporter of mine could ever threaten or harass their fellow Americans. If you do any of these things, you are not supporting our movement. You're attacking it. Paula Reed's at the White House. Paula, what else is the president saying? Good morning, Anthony. This was the president's strongest condemnation so far after the deadly attacks last week on the U.S. Capitol. But again, it came nearly a week after the fact and as he's facing criticism from members of his own party. In this video, the president revealed that he has been briefed by the U.S. Secret Service on other threats across the country. Now, this video was posted to one of the official White House Twitter accounts. It's one of the few social media platforms still available to the president, who has been banned from several other media outlets this past week. Now, he appears in the video to be trying to shift the conversation from last week's violence to what he alleges are efforts to censor people. But it's important to note. (laughs) You know, it's pretty great how she just gets done saying that there's only one account available to him to possibly use on Twitter and then kind of mocks him a little bit for claiming censorship when he's literally been censored. To what he alleges are efforts to censor people. But it's important to note, he recorded this video just yards from the White House press briefing room where he can broadcast around the world at a moment's notice. (laughs) And then we can throw all our questions at him. Uh, the Trump, Trump has a brand around him and people are trying to nail it down. Like you have, uh, you have Trumpism, uh, you have Trumpians I've heard CNN very disdainly came up with a new term for Trump supporters too. You know, we got to make sure we can label everybody. Got to make sure because when we're trying to unify and heal the nation, the best way to start doing that is by labeling and systematically extinguishing and deplatforming anyone associated with Donald Donald Trump, or as CNN puts it, Kuman uh, over there does, retrumplicans. This impeachment is causing tremendous anger. I think it's causing tremendous danger to our country. If you read my speech, and many people have done it, and I've seen it both uh, in the papers and in the media, on television, uh, it's been analyzed, and people thought that what I said was totally appropriate. Who? Not you. Not me. The only people who thought it was appropriate were the members of that mob those would-be terrorists that responded to his words by attacking our democracy. Turns out that now, even die-hard Retrumplicans are doubting their dedication. Retrumplicans? I just don't think it sticks. But I guess you can't say Trump, when you're referring to a group, you can't say Trumpisms, because that's when Trump says something like, people have looked at it and they say they really like it, they tell me. That's a Trumpism, right? That thing he did there when, like, Nobody read the transcript on television and analyzed it and said it was great. Nobody did that, right? But then he says lots of people do it and then people tell him. That's a Trumpism. So you can't call people a Trumpism. So you need a term for them. Uh, they got to make sure they can really nail it down, you know. Um, while Trump was – so that you, you heard the audio of him on his way to the airplane. While he was in Texas, uh, he also made remark about the 25th Amendment and about Joe Biden. I thought it was an interesting remark, so I grabbed it for you. 
We're joined together to celebrate a great achievement, the extraordinarily successful building of the wall on the southern border. Before we begin, I'd like to say that free speech is under assault like never before. The 25th Amendment is of zero risk to me, but will come back to haunt Joe Biden and the Biden administration. As the expression goes, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I think he clearly expects uh, Cam Cam to want to take over. The impeachment hoax is a continuation of the greatest and most vicious witch hunt in the history of our country. And that's how he's going to continue to spin it. He's not going to he's never going to fess up to organizing an event that made it possible for a mob to storm the Capitol. Um, and, you know, when he does tweet things like, for those of you who've been asking, I won't be attending the inauguration. Is it unreasonable to consider that's a message to supporters to say that he condones violence there? I think if you have been breathing the anti-Trump air for the last five years. And you really believe this guy's the biggest threat to the republic in the history of the United States. Then I think, yeah, you do. You genuinely hear it that way. If you think he's just kind of a blowhard who says stuff in a way that is a blowhardy way, and sometimes he's being tricky and sometimes he's just a blowhard, it's hard to really read it that way. And I think that's why it's worth investigating. I think he's dangerous, and I think he probably shouldn't ever run again because I've always felt this. This is my thing I've always said about Donald Trump is he is a foreign object that got into the body of deep D.C. politics, and it irritates the body, and the system has to expel the irritant. And it will not be it will not function normally until it does. And that is just the state of our country. I worry that it means that the Democrats will always be the party of your Joe Bidens and your Hillary Clinton style candidates. And I worry that it means that the Republican side is the only side that is even a possible channel for a populist candidate now, because we've seen the party conspire against Bernie. And we've seen them present Joe, who's clearly barely able to do the job if and may possibly be unable to do the job. But they so they are so concerned about putting forward an established candidate that they'll just blast past other candidates that could really, really, really excite people. Because fundamentally, the issue about Donald Trump is not Donald Trump. He represents a bigger problem. And I think that's probably what's at the core of the deplatforming and the silencing of speech we're seeing. Because the argument we heard all along say about the media refusing to cover Trump's claims about election fraud. We saw Fox News even cut away when Donald Trump would bring up claims in one of the two or three press events he's done since the election. There's been a, an entire blackout on, on any kind of rational discussion about the election results because they don't want to put misinformation out because they have to protect you from the information. There's been a total blackout on that discussion. And then any time that the allegations are brought up, they're always first prefaced with the baseless election fraud allegations. They've been doing that since November. Protecting you. They've been censoring the president of the United States to protect you. And yet, even though they've been doing that since November, there was somehow violence at the Capitol. It's almost like it's complete and total bullshit and that it doesn't prevent spreading of misinformation. It doesn't prevent inciting violence and harm at all. At all. Because we have a case example of it right here. So what is it really about? Well, we are going to get into that. 
But first, I just want to say, please consider supporting the show if you haven't already at patreon.com slash unfilter. And also, go to unfilter.show slash contact. If you're not currently supporting the show, give me an idea of a system that you would be comfortable with. Is it a subscription-based system? Is it a one-time? And what kind of amounts you'd be comfortable with? I'm taking a sorts of pull from you, the audience, because I want to make the show viable. You know, I, I am a small business owner, and I want to make sure that the time that I spend on Unfilter isn't reckless. I don't want to, I don't want to do something that is going to harm my livelihood. Because, you know, honestly, you look at it from like a small business standpoint, you got so much time and so much places you can invest your energy. And so my goal has always been with this show to make it sustainable. I don't want to get rich doing this show. I don't ever expect to do anything like that. I want to do this show forever, but I got to make it sustainable to do it. So I'd love to get your ideas on ways I could do that on filter.show slash contact because the Patreon's there, but honestly, it really hasn't grown much recently uh, for a while before even getting into the holidays. So my thought is, let's figure out a system that works for everybody so that way we keep this show going. So patreon.com slash unfilter if that works for you. Otherwise, let me know what might. Unfilter.show slash contact. So let's start with what's coming like immediately. What's just like right around the corner? With only six days left in office, sources say President Trump is angry and isolated after making history as the first U.S. president to be impeached twice. No one is above the law, not even the president of the United States. Sources tell CNN Trump relented and agreed to film this video after being pressured by advisors who were worried about the backlash he could face. I want to be very clear. I unequivocally condemn the violence that we saw last week. Trump didn't mention his role in stoking the attacks or his impeachment, though privately he's fuming at nearly everyone. His latest targets include House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy after he criticized Trump's conduct. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. McCarthy isn't alone. Trump is also feuding with his longtime attorney, Rudy Giuliani, for not doing enough to stave off a second impeachment and has told staff to stop paying his legal fees. Uh-oh. <laughs> Trump and Rudy are on the outs, it looks like. Uh, uh, too bad he didn't figure that one out back in December. <laughs> it, it really is just, uh, it's so, I mean, of course, of course Rudy was never going to work out. And of course, it was going to end this way between them. Really, I think what we're about to see is a shift in how we look at online platforms. Anything that isn't moderated is dangerous. Uh, we're, what we are watching happen right now is language is being shaped to make it so that a platform that is without moderation is dangerous because that's where the extremists can organize together. And I expect Telegram is going to have a lot of pressure applied to it. And I also think it, really any online community that doesn't have moderation is going to be considered unsafe. I, I was listening to a introduction of Mike Pompeo speaking at the Voice of America, which is essentially the United States version of RT. And the guy that introduced him for the Voice of America's uh, talk, the guy that introduced Mike Pompeo, he used this he used this term. He said the global war on information. The global war on information. And it reminded me of the term the global war on terror. 
a new focus, you know, the global war on information and and online resources that are not moderated are dangerous. They need to have a San Francisco kill switch. Otherwise, we could have insurrection spread. So here's what the latest intelligence bulletin says that we've obtained. It says this. It says the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol building is very likely part of an ongoing trend in which extremists exploit lawful protests, rallies and demonstrations and other gatherings to carry out ideologically motivated violence and criminal activity. I want to pause right there uh, because she brings this all together. But that is such a. So I got roasted after last week. Some people were better, nicer about it, and others were not. And the the fundamental thing that came down to is that I said there was people that were at the riot. They were just there to to witness history. They were walking around. They were dumpy looking people that you know, like me, <laughs> people that look like me, basically. You know, sweat. Like I'm wearing sweatpants right now. I'm comfortable, right? And I'm and they're there with a hat on, maybe, and and maybe a flag, and they're just walking around in their tennis shoes at an event. And then there was people that were cosplaying uh, paramilitary uh, dickheads and uh, uh, that with, you know, um, zip tie handcuffs in their pockets and whatnot. And I got roasted for that because I didn't paint all of them as extremists. I said there was a variation of people. By the way, there was even there was even BLM activists there. And one of them has been arrested. Links in the show notes. Oh, my gosh, you guys, the show notes recently. If you haven't been checking the show notes, oh my gosh, so much good stuff in the show notes recently. Anyways, but last week and this week, whoo, I mean, for all, all the time, but just recently, oh man, so much going on. Anyways, I got roasted for not painting them all as extremists, but right there, that's the FBI's official, official information. It's a trend that's been going on where extremists infiltrate legal, lawful protests and turn them violent. That's what she just said. She's going to tie it in with... With more, but that that piece of it, I think, is a nugget that's not getting very much attention right now. We're painting anyone who supports Trump as a terrorist now, who's incited violence. But the official report from the FBI clearly says that a small group of people infiltrated the group and made it violent. I'll play it again. So here's what the latest intelligence bulletin says that we've obtained. It says this. It says the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol building is very likely part of an ongoing trend in which extremists exploit lawful protests, rallies and demonstrations and other gatherings to carry out ideologically motivated violence and criminal activity. The increasing prevalence and influence of conspiracy theories based on a belief in the existence of global or deep state actors who work to manipulate various social, political uh, and or economic conditions of the United States very likely serves as a driver of some extremist violence. So this bulletin pointing out that extremists are infiltrating what might otherwise be peaceful protests, and they're doing so because of conspiracy theories that are propelling them into action. Conspiracy theories, of course, that they are often hearing from the president. Oh, yeah. And then she goes on to say if online and social media and whatnot. Um, and I... I'm not trying to say that uh, there's no place for moderation because I've run an online community in some form or another for a dozen years. And I know that a community that goes completely unmoderated will go to hell. But I'm also, I'm not convinced that people need to be protected from information. I get the argument that, well, look at what happened at the Capitol. People are obviously being influenced 
by misinformation, and then they're taking action. But uh, the problem is, is I just disagree with the entire statement. Uh, is is it misinformation, or is there is there actual grievances that they have? Uh, uh, are they following a madman because they're being sold information via Twitter and Facebook, or were they following a disgruntled narcissist because they have no one else to turn to? Because they've been systematically fucked for 30 years, 40 years, and now they're so beyond the breaking point that they'll turn to following a man like Donald Trump. Maybe that's why the information's spreading the way it is. Maybe it's got nothing to do with how the information is spread, and it's got everything to do with how human nature and confirmation bias work. And so I'm not sure I completely buy the argument that you protect people with this information. See my, my example with the riots after the media and all of social media. I mean, are you not sick of every YouTube video that has anything to do about the election having a big disclaimer at the bottom about the election or COVID? Or, that's all, none of that shit works. It doesn't work. It's clear. Because if it did work, we wouldn't be in this situation at all. So I'm not really sure if I follow the now if some you know if you have a platform that's being used to incite violence like um, Parler supposedly was, yeah maybe, maybe you should. But what do you do when it's something like the Bitcoin blockchain? What do you do if the Bitcoin blockchain has child porn in it? We just don't talk about that. How are we going to moderate something like that? So it's just going to cause an effect and a reaction. Now Parler is looking at a totally decentralized approach to the web. I myself am investigating more in PeerTube, and if this show ever begins producing video again, I'm sure as hell not putting it on YouTube. I'm going to put it on my own PeerTube instance. Even though, right now, Unfiltered doesn't run afoul of society's limits. But it may already be on the fringe, based on the feedback I get. And I could see a world where that circle gets a little bit tighter. But I, I really don't think censoring speech is the way to go. It feels like more like a, like the technology could solve this, a filtering layer. It's something much more complex, but akin to how you can go on Google Images and you can filter off not safe for work images. And it may not be 100% accurate, but it's pretty close. You know, it's probably, I don't know, I, don't, I really don't know, but it's probably like 95% accurate. Or even if it's, let's say it's 80%, that's a pretty good trade-off. That's a pretty good trade-off for still allowing free speech. And it feels like Twitter, a platform like Twitter could have just a series of filters or or influence bubbles. But calling for censorship doesn't seem like the way to go. But yet, we have had a chorus of calls from an industry who survives because of the freedom of press and free speech. There are a lot of people profiting off of lies and conspiracy theories, and I don't really see how things get better, how we move on as a country until this informational environment is cleaned up. This age of social media that we live in now is creating hate platforms in the U.S., and we're going to have to find a way to get that under control. Many of these platforms have no rules at all, and they are just rabbit holes of misinformation and hate speech. How important is it to regulate Parler and platforms like it? Big tech's uh, role poisoning minds with false information has also been an issue for years. They've made millions of dollars on these channels that are that are poisoning people's minds. Many have been calling on the tech titans to do more. The irony here, too, right, about poisoning minds and poisoning the discourse, the irony that the press is making that claim about platforms that are essentially their competition because social media takes attention away from television 
So they're essentially comp- uh, competing against them and then and then projecting. These executives don't want any more blood on their hands. Even with these quote unquote mainstream digital platforms turning their backs on this kind of ideology, at least for now, in the eyes of some, too little, too late. Now. Now. I mean, now. 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 I mean, they're a little slow on the uptake. For many, the move and suspensions by Facebook and Instagram are too little, too late. Should have censored faster. Too little, too late. Too little, too late. Too little, too late. But it is still a historic moment for big technology companies. The only peril as I can watch as I watch this that I can think of is uh, the takedown of Islamist terrorism social media discussions. ISIS is the only parallel. There are millions of Americans, um, uh, almost all white, almost all Republicans, who somehow need to be deprogrammed. Do you have any idea how we <laughs> how we start that? I think they are trying to process. Yeah, I think you are trying to start that process right now. It's it seems to be what's happening. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm not going to try to defend Parler though. Um, in a way, you know, shut them down. Uh, if they want to create a platform like that, they need to build it differently to begin with. And second of all, an online community does fall apart if it's not moderated, and it should be designed for a particular type of conversation. People can, there are other ways to facilitate that. But it was chilling to see AWS pull the plug. Now, uh, according to more information that's come out, it appears that that had actually been a conversation that had been going on for nearly a month and AWS was close to pulling it as it was. But what we saw was essentially executives in California censoring the president of the United States. And you bet that will have ramifications long term. And it's going to be noticed by other world leaders as well. Twitter lost, lost other. It's been, it's, it's really, you'll see, you'll see. I don't want to make a big thing out of it because Twitter, I think, is kind of on the decline to begin with. I hope the future is in decentralized systems, systems like Matrix. Uh, I, I know Discord is very popular. We have a, we have a Discord now, but ultimately, Discord will become susceptible to the kind of pressures that any popular social media platform becomes susceptible to. And if there was another big report like there has been in the past about groups organizing on Discord, they'll go on they'll they'll suddenly be under a lot of pressure. Where Matrix is more decentralized like that. They'd have to come directly after Jupiter Broadcasting to shut down our Matrix. And we're just such a small little fry. You know, it's it's not just somebody sitting in a boardroom in California that says, "Yeah, pull the switch on this category of users." But let's shift gears because while all this is going on, there is a new Biden administration coming together. And some of his recent team picks basically confirm one of my biggest concerns. He's going to have an interventionalist type of mindset and intentions. U.S. President-elect Joe Biden has chosen who he wants to run the Federal International Aid Agency, otherwise known as USAID. Samantha Power previously served on the National Security Council and was Barack Obama's UN envoy. Revealing his choice, Biden explained why he wants power on his team. Sam is one of our country's most respected voices on humanitarian issues. This is a cute thing they're doing. Uh, these video releases with pre-produced, edited Biden, where he's using first name bases for everybody and telling folksy stories. So that way he can cover up interventionalists who pushed for us to overthrow Gaddafi and others and just make them seem real nice and presentable. You know, it's Sam. It's, it's, it's Sam. Sam is one of our country's most respected voices on humanitarian issues. And I've seen both her passion 
and our principals firsthand. There could be no one, no one more qualified to lead those efforts than Samantha Power. Well, during her previous high-profile government jobs, Power has faced a string of ethical questions from critics. She pushed for military intervention in Libya on humanitarian grounds during the civil war there nearly a decade ago. Uh, she was also a strong supporter of US involvement in Syria and Yemen, both of which have suffered a subsequent humanitarian crisis. Now, though, she says she is the right person to lead Washington's mission to improve the world. Roll the propaganda. The United States has a chance to partner with and support people who are on the front lines in battling COVID, who are trying to build climate resilience, who are standing up for the rule of law, standing up against inequality and trying to create more just societies. Humanitarian support, democracy assistance, economic development, those are not nice to have in our foreign policy toolbox. They are critical. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they're trying the new Apple thing. So instead of doing like these boring conferences where everybody's going to get COVID, now they're doing these pre-produced videos with a little bit of camera movement and the piano music. And that's how we're meeting the new establishment. But back to the idea of trying to wipe out Trumpism or, or trying to remove this wing. And I, I think McConnell, McConnell has played this in a way. You know, his wife quitting was a signal. Now he signaled and check the show notes for this one that he's open to the idea of proceeding with impeachment. I mean, he doesn't like Trump and he doesn't like Trump supporters. McConnell wants the GOP, the grand old party, to represent the rich businesses, the well-off people in society. It doesn't want all these downtrodden Trump supporters. And we can't have people going against official narratives. We have to wipe all of this out. And so conspiracy theories, people who like to fry the bacon and say something isn't quite as it seems, are what's causing all of the problems. If only we would just go by what the government tells us and the media reports. And there was an event that happened while the show was on break that illustrates this perfectly. Something rather remarkable happened on Christmas. Let's start here, though, with the latest on that Christmas Day RV bombing in downtown Nashville. Another classic 2020 happening. The FBI has now taken over the investigation. At least three people got hurt here. But the mayor says many, many more people were saved by police officers who rushed in to clear the area. What could be the strangest part of this was the recorded warning blasting from that RV minutes before it exploded on a street lined with tourist bars and restaurants. Now, the RV was parked near an AT&T office. It took out communication systems, including some 911 operations in the Nashville area. An RV bomb? What, I say? Yeah, the Unfilter show didn't even rest on Christmas. I was clipping this because I wanted to get a lot of information as it happened. And it seems that that thing was going for like a half hour warning people uh, to, to leave the area. Uh, and um, I got a little bit of that audio. And there it blew up. If you can hear this message, evacuate now. 
Now this this thing really went. It really it really went up. It, that's not a propane tank or a gas tank in an RV going. That that was some serious explosives. And that countdown that went for about a half hour. You don't just wind up with that, right? He had to record that. Well, somebody it sounds like a female to me recorded that for him. He had to wire that in. He had to add the speakers into it. It it was. It was a big job. It was a very planned, intentional job. And the FBI pretty quickly pretty quickly uh, zoned in on a uh, possible person of interest. Federal agents searched the Tennessee home of a person of interest in connection with the blast in the heart of downtown Nashville. A law enforcement source told CBS News Anthony Quinn Warner has been identified in connection with the recreational vehicle that exploded early Christmas Day. An FBI bulletin from the Weapons of Mass Destruction Directorate said Warner had a similar make and model RV. And the Google Street View shows an RV parked in the yard of the Warner's home. The FBI says around 500 leads have come in as investigators comb through the crime scene. There are a number of individuals that we're looking at. So at this point, we're not prepared to identify any single individual. Now, they did eventually single in on him, um, Anthony Warner. Uh, and in part uh, because because there was so many things he had, so many people people he had uh, discussed this with there was so many so many things odd things he had said like he gave somebody a lady his car because he said he had cancer and uh, he was dying and wouldn't need it. Just before the Friday explosion, officers found the RV outside an AT and T transmission building. An apparently recorded audio warning of an imminent bomb could be heard coming from the vehicle. The blast, which investigators believe was intentional, damaged dozens of businesses and homes and injured at least three people. It's like a, a giant jigsaw puzzle created by a bomb that throws pieces of evidence across multiple city blocks. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, and like every single one of these stories that we ever hear about, the FBI had been warned ahead of time, a year ahead of time. Good evening, everyone. That breaking news. Could the Christmas morning bombing in Nashville have been prevented? Records uncovered by News Channel 5 investigates show Anthony Warner's girlfriend told police he was making bombs in his RV more than a year ago. Well, that's a little embarrassing. So that's one of the reasons they found him so damn quick. Also, his lawyer quit on him and reported him to the police because he thought he was going to do something crazy like that. And what it turned out was that they thought he was possibly trying to target AT&T infrastructure. Uh, his father had worked in that building and the, the area that the bomb went off disabled a data center that caused quite a significant outage. And um, he was maybe even radicalized or motivated by an insidious influence online the great threat facing our democracy. Sources tell CBS News that investigators are looking into whether Anthony Quinn Warner was targeting communications infrastructure by blowing up that RV outside that AT&T transmission building, which is right down the street there. One source tells CBS News that Warner's late father had actually once worked at AT&T. And investigators are also looking into whether he may have been influenced by online conspiracy theories into 5G technology. Yeah. Yeah, he was a conspiracy nut, of course. It only took uh, about three days for that to be the explanation, and we've never really been updated since. We were told we got his name, 
Uh, we, we think it was intentional. Of course it was. We think he might have been targeting AT&T. Th- what? Uh, and uh, yeah, he's a conspiracy nut that uh, doesn't like 5G. Conspiracy nut. And that's the last we ever heard of it. But it won't go away. At some point it'll be cited as an example of the danger conspiracy theorists present. So uh, I just, I think there is something to it. I think you 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 take that Christmas bombing and you take the reaction to the riot of the Capitol and how it's all been QAnon and conspiracies. We're building towards a dangerous speech and we're building towards a world where platforms online that are not moderated are dangerous. And we'll use these radicalized examples of people uh, to, to show why, why it's so important that we protect people from speech even more than we already are. See, the problem is we're not protecting you enough. The, uh, the Vogue got in a lot of trouble this week. My favorite story of the week, shifting gears completely, my absolute favorite story of the week was Vogue getting hammered by the left this week. I don't know if you saw this, because the cover that they did with Kamala Harris wasn't glamorous enough. And I'll admit it was it was a little average. I figured it was probably because of corona or something like that that they didn't have a full crew. It was it was an average photo shoot. Uh but they got blasted for it and they had to kind of apologize for not honoring her enough. Cover controversy, the online backlash over Vogue's cover of the vice president-elect. Critics say it doesn't give the vice president-elect her due. When Vogue magazine released its February cover featuring vice president-elect Kamala Harris, the momentous event came with an unexpected side of controversy. Vogue, signifying more than just style or status, but also celebrating a moment in history. Vogue! And for Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, many are saying this moment missed the mark. These are the network morning shows, by the way. Reaction was swift and critical. This is NBC's Today. Many criticizing the casual nature of the cover. One person tweeting, it was disrespectful. Noted Washington Post critic Robin Gavon writing, the cover did not give Kamala D. Harris due respect. It was overly familiar. It was a cover image that, in effect, called Harris by her first name without invitation. Their, their, their literal complaint is they didn't fawn over her enough. Vogue editor-in-chief Anna Wintour is also speaking out, telling the New York Times' Kara Schriftscher, obviously we heard and understood the reaction to the print cover. Understood it. And I just want to reiterate that it was absolutely not our intention to in any way diminish the importance of the vice president-elect's incredible victory. You'll, you can probably find a link in the show notes or just go look for the Vogue uh, Kamala cover. I mean, it's not that bad. It's really not that bad. It's it's not like the most amazing that you've seen. I mean, like Michelle Obama got way better ones and whatnot, but I mean, she's not even in the White House yet. And there's probably many more to come. I mean, they'll just gonna. But the, the this shows you what I've been talking about on the show is there is an expectation that you will fawn at the feet of this administration. And not only will you be completely extricated from the community if you criticize them, but you get you get in trouble. You get criticized if you don't fawn on them enough. That's remarkable. And it's just an example of what a lapdog this media is going to be during this administration. And it's already effect before they've even entered the White House. They're already getting everybody in line and making sure everybody is paying attention and behaving. 
Uh, except for New York, where you're going to get stoned. Well, 2021 could be another banner year for marijuana. Voters in the November elections overwhelmingly approved weed legalization in some form or another in states where it was on the ballot. And more states, including New York, are hoping also to go green. Bloomberg Quick Take reporter Jennifer Zabasaja has been listening in on Governor Cuomo's announcement this morning, and she joins me now to explain. Jen, good afternoon. Um, can you walk us through this latest proposal by Governor Cuomo? You think Jen's just going to say, well, after they cratered the economy of New York uh, and basically didn't really prevent very many deaths, uh, we really have a horrible economy. Uh, there's really hardly any small businesses left, and people are afraid to even go outside, let alone go into a restaurant or a bar. So we got to make that great green money, that cannabis honey money. Think she'll say that? Yes, Jim. I mean, so this is the third year in a row that Governor Cuomo has actually tried to propose legalization of weed in some form in the state. The last time he did it was in 2020. He says that time it got sidelined because of the pandemic, but he really believes that this may be the year for New York to go green, as you said. So a bit about the proposal. So it would allow New Yorkers age 21 and up to buy marijuana uh, to buy marijuana from a state approved dispensary, but it would also, the proposal would also create an office of cannabis management, which he is hoping will oversee some of the cannabis legalization that happens in the state. But also, pretty particularly, it would help communities of color also get some of the benefits of legalization. So it would give communities of color access to capital as well. Uh, and especially because black and brown people have been so disproportionately uh, affected by arrests in the past. And so Cuomo really is hoping that now more than ever, this could pass in the state. He also introduced... I think they need it. Um, and I think it would be a great way for new family businesses. Uh, through marriage, there is somebody who uh, I know who owns a cannabis business here in Washington. And it's been fascinating to watch it take off for him. Uh, and it's creating a, a new a new source of wealth for that family, uh, even during like a crazy pandemic shutdown economy. But uh, over the holiday break, while Unfilter was off the air, I got into I got into this uh, this like, you know, world on YouTube, how you can just discover there's entire worlds to a topic that you didn't ever even knew were a thing. And now all of a sudden there's like people who are celebrities on YouTube in this particular thing. Well, for me, it was cannonballing. Have you heard of this? I know. Yeah, it sounds it sounds weird, but it's not like a gross thing. <laughs> After I said it, I, I paused because I realized I wonder if they think. No, it cannonballing is attempting to get across the United States in car uh, within a certain time frame. And now, like the world records, like twenty four hours to drive a, to drive across the country. You guys know if you've listened to the show for a little while, I'm a very, 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 very big fan of road tripping. So when I discovered there's people that essentially competitively road trip. Uh, I, I really got sucked into that YouTube hole. And I think that's why the algorithm presented me this story to wrap us up on this week. One of the things people do in cannonballing is they try to stealth out their car. So if they got like a really fast car, they'll like try to put some like stupid uh, plastic molding on there to, to make it maybe look like a Toyota Camry. You know, uh, you know, uh, maybe not maybe maybe not like a high end Mercedes that can do 160 miles per hour. And so they'll do things like this and they'll have multiple radar detectors and they'll have heat sensors and all kinds of crazy stuff to try to avoid the cops because the only way you're getting across the United – well, you could do the math. <laughs> but the only way you're getting across the United States 
Uh, I think is you have to do like, well, your average is well over 100 miles per hour. I think it's somewhere around 110 miles per hour is what your average speed has to be <laughs> to make it in 24 hours. So you can imagine the kind of gear that these guys try to load up with. And so the algorithm said, hey, you might like this one. This is a story about, a, about an Oakland County sheriff who pulled over a man who was posing as a cop. But it was like a really legit setup, not like plastic molding, but like a, the right type of vehicle, the right type of push bar, lights in the in the in the uh, grill, light a light bar above, um, all kinds of like the kind of things you'd expect on the side of a of a law enforcement vehicle, like some logos, uh, even a computer. I mean, you got to hear this story. This is absolutely a wild story, and it honestly got me thinking: is is there somebody out there trying to pose as cops, or is this just a prankster? What was the, they never tell us what the motive was here. So uh, you tell me. All right, Ben. Oakland County Sheriff Mike Bouchard was driving along M59 in Waterford when he saw an SUV decked out to look like a police squad car. Got closer and realized it was indeed a fake. Mara McDonald live in Waterford tonight. Uh, Mara, the sheriff pulled the guy over. He sure did. Devin, you know, a, a guy working along this stretch of 59 captured the whole thing on his cell phone. And you see the sheriff in his suit and tie making the stop. And now the department is trying to figure out why somebody driving around in a fake cop car, you know, what have they been doing? Can you tell which is the legit police vehicle in this video? Because it sure gave the experts pause. One. The only way you can really tell is that the fake cop car, which is in the Ford Explorer Interceptor edition, the only way you can tell is that he's using yellow, orange, and white lights and not blue lights. But otherwise, it looks like a cop car, even like the hubcaps, the everything, the grill, all of it. Um, the, only, the only difference is, is uh, he doesn't have a front license plate. Can you tell which is the legit police vehicle in this video? Be Oh, none of them have a front license plate. That must just not be a thing there. Because it sure gave the experts pause. Well, initially it looked to me exactly like a police car. It was a, it was a police car. It had a, a regular police car push bumpers. It had a whole light array on the back. It had police interceptor on the back, dial 911 on the side, stay back, canine. Canine cages in the side rear window. So you can understand why Bouchard driving down 59 really raised an eyebrow when he got alongside it. And it had a sketchy decal on the door that said emergency response on it. And I was like, no, that's not a police car. Something weird's going on. It got weirder. He ran the plate. It didn't come back to an agency. So he activated his lights and pulled it over. The window so tinted it was impossible to see who was driving. The guy behind the wheel rolls down the window. He looks at me and says, who are you? And I said, I'm the sheriff. Who are you? <laughs> what kind of reaction is that? A cop pulls you over and you know what kind of vehicle you're in and you say to him, who are you? But the cop was in a suit. He wasn't in a cop outfit. And I wonder if there's others driving around in these setups. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm just throwing some bacon at this, but a, a canine cage, the laptop stand, all of it, really? You're telling me this is this sounds like a professional job. And I said, I'm the sheriff. Who are you? The inside of the phony cop car was also decked out to look legit. The guy's got what looks intended to look like a computer-aided dispatch computer mounted in the car, a fake radar mounted on the dash. He's got a 45 semi-automatic loaded Glock handgun and a large Bowie knife. 
Back here live, the sheriff's department is trying to figure out what this guy has been up to and if anybody has actually been stopped by this vehicle and had him masquerading as a police officer. By the way, I asked Sheriff Bouchard if it's common for him to be, you know, doing traffic stops. He says, eh, depends on the week. This week there have been about three of them, and usually it's for egregious behavior. <laughs> I don't know if that was egregious behavior, but it's weird. Is that like an intelligence agency thing? Although they said it didn't go back to any agency. It seems like a lot of effort. And the fact that he said, who are you? And he didn't immediately assume it was a cop makes me think there's others. I don't know why. That's just how my mind works. But of course, it's really just a fun, wild story. We'll probably never hear anything more about it. But if you do, let me know. I'd love to have you join our community. While Discord is still the place, you can find it on filter.show slash Discord. I tease. Discord's been working great. There's the Right Now channel in there for news as it's breaking. If something were to happen, there is that Right Now channel. And that's where you can watch to see if I'm going to go live. That's the best way to get notified right now or to follow the Twitch channel. Um, that's generally how you'll know. So if something happens as we get closer to inauguration and it's newsworthy, I'll likely break live if I can. So the Discord will be the place to follow that and participate with that unfiltered.show slash Discord. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode. There is tons of interesting links in the show notes. Like I mentioned earlier, you can find that at unfiltered.show slash three four four. Now, my plan is to get back on track to try to come out around Thursday mornings is my typical release window. So hopefully next week, things are just uh, bog standard. But it seems like these days, it's anything but bog standard. See you next week. Healers. <laughs>